One of these days, I'm going to get that applause too. I just don't get up quite quick enough, you know? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I am uh, so excited to be here, get to preach this morning. I did not know that this was coming. Last week, it was uh, our anniversary, and so we were leaving like right after Sunday morning. Brittany had the bags packed. I don't know if your wife does that. I've never packed a suitcase. My wife used to do it, now my wife does it. And so she had all the bags packed, and uh, as soon as church was over, Brother West came up and he said, hey, what are you preaching on next Sunday morning? I said, Wes, I'm preaching next Sunday night, but I'm not preaching next Sunday morning. He said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, I talked to Brother Charles last night and he said you were. I said, well, I guess I am. We got in the car and I called Brother Charles. I know he's probably watching. I called and um, he, you know how he answers the phone if you ever call me? Hey, what's going on? That's what he says. I said, I don't know. You tell me what's going on next Sunday. Oh, I was going to tell you, you're preaching next Sunday. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm excited, man. I, I love to get to preach. One, one little, I don't, I don't guess it's a bad thing, but I came home and on Thursday I was talking to, to dad and um, I said, how'd it go Sunday night? He said, it was good. Went over the service. I said, did Brother Charles preach? He said, he did. I said, what did he preach on? He said, he went back and he covered Blessed Are the Meek because um, he skipped that one on Sunday mornings. And I said, are you kidding? He said, no, I'm not kidding. I said, I built a whole sermon around Blessed Are the Meek the last three days, and I'm going to preach it. So if you were here Sunday night, you heard a sermon on Blessed Are the Meek, but it's a different sermon. Don't check out, don't plug out. I promise it is very different. Matthew chapter 5, on Sunday mornings, we did skip Verse 5, blessed are the meek, and that's where we're going to be at this morning. Matthew 5 is a series out of the Sermon on the Mount on being blessed, living a life that is blessed. The Lord's sermon was not intended to discourage us, but rather to show us what it really means to follow Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is a spiritual compass. It shows us which way we ought to go, what our life should look like if we are a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are eight Beatitudes. The first four deal with our relationship to God, and the last four deal with our relationship to other people. Look at verse 1, if you would. It says, Seeing the crowd... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I picture that Jesus is walking through the countryside, and he looks around, and he sees all these, all these people. And so the Bible says he goes, and he sits down, and his disciples come to him. Now notice that distinction, because if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. Verse 1, there are two groups of people mentioned. There is the crowds, but within the crowd, there are the disciples. We see that time and time in the Gospels. It's true, and it's true even in this room this morning. There's a great crowd of people. There are many people here this morning, but within this crowd, there are disciples. Within this crowd, there are people who have decided, I am going to submit, I am going to surrender my life and my will and my ambition to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live for him. And so the Bible says he sat and the disciples began to come to him. Each one of the Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. Blessed. It's not a rare word. It's a makarios is the Greek word. It's used 50 times, over 50 times in the New Testament. 
It means happy, but it means more than happiness. It means that you find this favor from God, that you are approved by God. It's the state of being content or being satisfied in your life. It's more than happiness because it is not dependent upon outward circumstances. It's not that you are blessed at some point and at some points you are not. But for the, the true child of God, there is a, a state of being blessed. And the Bible, it speaks of this blessedness and it only speaks of it in the life of a believer. An unbeliever is never said to be blessed or happy. You know why? True happiness is only found in the family of God. True happiness is only found in the family of God. Now the world says you can find it in money. The world says you can find it in possessions. The world says you can find it in success. But the Bible says true happiness, true blessedness is only found in God. Now what I like about the Beatitudes is they make no sense. What I mean by that is they are uh, uh, stories of paradox. They are absurd when you begin to look at them. Let me, let me explain that to you. If I was to write the Beatitudes, I might say this. Blessed are the rich because all of their needs will be met. Sounds good, doesn't it? Or I might say this. Blessed are those with a large retirement account for they will enjoy the end of their life. Sounds pretty good too, doesn't it? Or you might say, blessed are the successful, for they will be respected. Or you might say, blessed are those who have good relationships, for they will find joy. Or you might say, and, and you understand, we could keep going. This is what the world says. You are blessed if you have a lot of money. You are blessed if you live in a nice home. You are blessed if you have a nice car. You are blessed if you have a good job. You are blessed if all of these things are true of your life. But that is not what Jesus says. Jesus says the opposite, and to the world it makes no sense. Jesus comes and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He comes and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the humble. Blessed are the hungry and the thirsty. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Listen to this, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are insulted. And, and you just read that and you say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. This is the opposite of everything that the world is teaching me. The world is teaching me that I can find pleasure through possessions. But the Bible teaches me that that's all going to end up in a junk pile anyway, so don't waste your life on it. It's totally different. The world teaches that I can find pleasure and I can find happiness in things. But the Bible says you cannot seek the living among the dead. The Bible teaches us that happiness is not of this world because this world does not have it. And so this world cannot give it. And so when we read in the Beatitudes, everything is changed. Everything is different. Everything is reversed. And so it is with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not make sense in the eyes of the world. Listen, you have friends, you have family members, and they think you are so weird 
They think that you are so crazy because you got up this morning, you went to a small group to sit around with some other weird folks who want to just open up the Bible and study. And they say, that's weird. And, and you come in here and you sing songs and you sit by people you may not know that well and you, you leave and you say you enjoyed it and you had a good time, you can't wait to come back. And they look at you and they say, that is just strange. And, and you give of your money. Why would you give of your money? Money's hard to come by, but you give of it generously. And they say, man, that is weird. It doesn't make sense. And you give of your time and you teach or you sing or you drive a bus or you do all these different things. And your, your friends and your family, they look at you and they say, it doesn't make any sense. But I believe the kingdom of God does not make sense to the world. And it is shown here in the Beatitudes. <clears throat> Now, why did Jesus begin this, the greatest sermon ever taught with the Beatitudes? I think it could be that one day he, he saw all these people, and he loved these people, but his heart was broken because it was like they were trying to find satisfaction and joy, happiness and contentment in the world, but it never worked. They were trying to fill their bag with what the world has to offer, but there's a hole in the bag, and it kept falling out. It kept falling short, and they were never content, and they were never satisfied. That sound familiar to anybody? And so Jesus calls the crowd, he calls the disciples, and he says, let me tell you how to be happy. Let me tell you how to be blessed. He said, number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that spiritually they are bankrupt. Blessed are those who realize that they deserve nothing and they are in a poor spot spiritually. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who look in their heart, they look in their life and they see sin and they hate it. And it, it really drives them to mourn the sin in their life because they know it brings separation between them and God. And so they mourn the fact that they have sin in their life and they must confess it and they must get it right. And when they confess it and get it right, they are comforted. The Bible says that is how you find blessedness. And then in verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek or they shall inherit the earth. Those who would be listening would be shocked by this statement. They would be shocked and they would not like it. It would be totally foreign to what they wanted. Because you see, in the year 63 BC, the Jewish people lost their beloved independence. The great strong Roman Empire came in and it was going all through Asia into Europe. And it came through and it took over the state of Israel. And so they were living under this oppression, under this bondage of the Romans. And they were waiting for one thing, and that is the Messiah. They were waiting and they were longing for the Messiah to come. The prophets had spoken of the Messiah, the one who would come and set up this kingdom and the Jewish people would be free once again. And as the oppression tightened, their anticipation got greater and greater and greater. And then comes this man, Jesus. Jesus comes in and he begins to perform miracles. 
Jesus comes in and he begins to perform signs and wonders. And he comes in and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they said, this is the moment. This is the moment that we've been waiting on. He's going to set up his kingdom. This is going to be awesome. And so they got on their phones, they called their neighbors, and they said, have you heard about Jesus? Oh, he healed this guy, he drove out this demon. He is incredible. He is doing some great things. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is going to set the kingdom up. And they were just pumped, and they were ready to go, and they were excited about it. But then Jesus said something like, my kingdom is not of this world. And they said, "Uh uh-oh. That's not what we wanted. And then it really goes back to this verse 5 where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See, they want to inherit the earth. That's what they want. But they don't want to do it through meekness. That's not what they know. They don't understand how you can gain something by meekness. It makes no sense to them. They want Jesus to come and say, Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the mighty. Blessed are the courageous. Blessed are the self-sufficient. Blessed are the self-righteous. Blessed are the confident. Blessed are the satisfied. Blessed are the, the angry and the rebellious. But instead he comes and he says, blessed are the broken, the mourning, and the meek. And so just real quickly, I want to just look at what does it mean to be meek? I believe this is a principle that is, it's just crucial It is essential to our lives as believers. It's not something we we tag on at the end. It's not an elective for our life, but it is required of those who are a part of the kingdom of God. And so what does it mean when he says, blessed are the meek? I'll be honest, I don't use that word a lot. I doubt that you do. And when I think about meek, it's usually not in a positive sense. If you say so-and-so is meek, that's usually not a compliment. In fact, the definition, if you look it up, the definition of meek is this. It means to be deficient in spirit or deficient in courage. Someone who lacks courage. That doesn't sound good, does it? I don't really want that in my life. I don't want people to say, you know, Casey's the one that has no courage. That doesn't sound good. But yet Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the first century, the word meant something totally different. Meekness was defined as someone who does not assert themselves. Someone who is not consumed, listen, someone who is not consumed with his or her agenda. To be meek is to be someone who is not overly impressed with someone's self-importance. Someone who does not think that they are all that. To be meek is to be humble. It is to be gentle. It is to be considerate. Meekness shows a, a rather quiet, willing submission to God. During the first century, it was used primarily by three different types of people. It was used by doctors to describe a soothing medication. It was used by sailors to describe a a calm breeze or a calm wind. 
And thirdly, it was used by farmers to describe a horse that had been broken. Now what you'll see in all three of those is that each one of these is power but under control. Many of us here, we take medication. And that medication very well may save your life. That medication, you take it. I see some of you, you've got like boxes full and you take <clears throat> cups of it every morning. And that medication is, is, is beneficial for your life. But it must be used under the proper dosage. The dosage of the pharmacist or the physician. Because if you take the wrong dosage, it could kill you. So it's powerful, but it's got to be under the right dosage. The wind, if you are sailing and you're on the sea, the wind can bring so much destruction. It, it can just come alive around you. But if it's controlled wind, it can make your life so much easier and so pleasant. A horse has such power and such speed and such might, but a horse that has been broken can bring so many benefits to your life. You see, this is what the word meek is talking about. It's not talking about weakness. It's not talking about one who is timid. It's talking about a power that is under the control of someone else. That's what it means to be meek. All the strength is there. All the power is there. But it is not self-asserted. Submission to God is meekness. It is the taming of the lion. It's not the killing of the lion. The lion is just as strong and as powerful as he's ever been before. The lion is not impotent. The lion is not cowardly. The lion is not weak. But the lion is controlled by someone else. And so when Jesus speaks of being meek, he's looking and even today, he's looking for men and for women who will give up their power. Men and women who will give up their agenda. Men and women who will give up their, their wills and their purpose and their dreams and their ambitions. And they will let their entire life come under the control of God. It means to be a servant of the Lord God. Do you know how Paul began Romans? I believe it's Romans 1.1. He says, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he saw himself. I'm going through life, and what am I? I am just a servant. I'm a servant of God. That's what meekness is, to see your life and to see everything that you've got, everything God has blessed you with, and to say, I've got all this by the power of God, and I'm going to use it for the purposes of God. That's what meekness is. Galatians 2.20, it says, For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Can you, can you just imagine that? I've been crucified with Christ. My life is, is done. My life is dead. The life I now live in the flesh, I live for Christ. Folks, listen to me. If that was true of this church, I can't even imagine. Look, if that was true of my life, that I would wake up every day and say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I would make every single day count. It wouldn't mean that I'm weak or that I'm timid, but it means that I, I wake up every day and I realize the power of God who lives in me. You want your life to count? Then live it under His control. And if we're honest, most of us are going to say, that does not come natural in my life. 
I know I should. I know that this is that central biblical theme of submitting to God, but it's not easy. And it does not come natural. But let me just show you how, how essential it is. Yeah, I'll share some stuff with you that you know, but just to kind of bring it up to you. In Luke 14, you don't have to open, <clears throat> but in Luke 14, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus has uh, a crowd of people, another crowd of people around him. <clears throat> and in Luke 14, he goes to the crowd and he says, if anyone <clears throat> would come after me, let him hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, even his whole life, and then come and follow me. Is that just weird to anybody else? I mean, I know you've heard this a lot, but if you heard that for the first time, would that not send up like a red flag to you? If anyone come after me, let him hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sister, and then come and follow me? Anybody ever heard the how to win friends and influence people? <clears throat> this is not it. That, that's not how you do it. But, but then he goes to the next and he continues and he says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Not only that, but you need a cross. And I'm not talking about a cross around your neck. I'm not talking about a cross on your t-shirt. I'm not even talking about a, a tattoo on your sleeve. I'm talking about pick up an instrument of torture and an instrument of death and then follow me. It would be like today saying, why don't you just go ahead and come down to the fact that you need the electric chair and then come and follow me. And he finishes and he says, anyone who does not give up all that he has cannot be my disciple. Man, that's a lot, isn't it? That just raises the bar up so high. And then in Mark chapter 10, there's this, this influential, <clears throat> rich young man. And he comes to Jesus and he bows before Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life. You know what he's asking? What do I have to do to be saved? I'm ready, <clears throat> okay? What do I need to do to be saved? And if it happened here, the deacons would meet in the back and they would say, we got to get that guy. He's got money, he's got influence, he can help us build this building out here. Let's bring this guy in. So let's do the ABCs, admit, believe, confess, let's pray. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Sell everything you've got, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Jesus raised the bar so high. And then just in Matthew 4, when he calls the disciples and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do you know what he's asking them to do? To abandon, to abandon their comforts, everything that they know, to abandon their, their career, Drop your nets, leave your boat, leave your friends, leave your family. Abandon all of that. <clears throat> Abandon their possessions. Abandon themselves and follow him. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just I can be meek if I want to. It is central to discipleship. And do you know what all of that is a picture of? All of that is a picture of meekness. Every one of them. It's a picture of meekness. Lord, I am submitting what I am to you. Lord, I am submitting what I have to you. Lord, I am giving you the reins of my life. Lord, I am giving you the control of my life. I am surrendered to you. It's talking about submission. I heard about two little boys 
And their mama was cooking, <clears throat> cooking pancakes for them one morning. And mama got one big pancake done early, and she put it on the table, and the two boys began to fight over the pancake. That happens a lot at my house, maybe not yours. <clears throat> They're fighting over the pancake, and the mama said, Boys, if it was Jesus, he would let his brother have the pancake. And the little boy looked at the other one and said, You be Jesus, and I'll take the pancake. <clears throat> submission is tough. Case and our little girl, she's, she's almost 18 months old now. She's learning to speak. And do you know what she says more than anything else? No. I didn't teach her that, but that's what she does. We asked her yesterday, we were eating separate, you want to go to church tomorrow? No. You don't want to go to church? No, 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 no. I don't know why, but she, she just knows. She doesn't want to do it. And so submission is something that is, is hard for us to get. And if we understand what this meekness is, it will change It'll change our life. Do you remember back in Genesis, Abraham received a covenant from God? Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Then they go out and we see the next chapter. So we see that there's this dispute between Lot and his herdsmen and Abraham and his herdsmen. They're fighting over the land. There's not enough land for the livestock. <clears throat> you know what Abraham could have said? He could have went to Lot and said, hey, Lot, who received the covenant from God? Was that me or was that you? And Lot would have said, well, you received the covenant. And Abraham could have said, that's right, and don't you forget it. All of this land, this is my land. You can go with your livestock and find somewhere else. He had the right to do that, but you know what he said? He said, Lot, which way do you want to go? <clears throat> you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You know what that is? It's meekness. Here's what meekness is. Meekness is when you do not have to fight for your rights. There's a whole lot of us, and we spend so much time trying to get what we've earned, trying to get what we have deserved in life. You want to know how you're, you're meek? You're meek when you're not critical of others. Anybody here, you just say, man, it's hard for me not to be critical. Don't raise your hands because we'll recognize you. But you say, man, it's hard for me. <clears throat> I'm just a critical person. And so you go to your job and you begin to look at everybody else and you see what they're doing wrong and how they're not pulling their weight and how you could do so much better than what they do. You cannot believe they got the promotion. You cannot believe they got the raise. That is the opposite of meekness. <clears throat> Meekness is where you submit under the authority. You don't walk around arrogant. You don't walk around prideful. But you walk around wishing to live a life that honors God. Do you know what meekness is? Meekness is when you do not need the credit. Anybody just, you like getting credit for what you've done? <clears throat> I mean, you do something at the church, you want your name in the bulletin. You want your name on the screen. Now, I had to learn a long time ago in ministry, <clears throat> you do a lot of things that people don't see. So I remember early uh, in ministry, man, I'm doing all this stuff and nobody even knows it. And the Lord convicted me on that. You're not doing it for them anyway, you're doing it for me. See, meekness is when you will, <clears throat> you will work for the kingdom of God and you don't want any credit for it. Meekness is when it's not about you. Harry Truman said this, he said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. <clears throat> meekness is when you think about someone else, you don't think about yourself. Meekness is when you don't have to act like your life is perfect and all your chickens are lined up in a row because let's be honest, most of us have chickens going every which way every day of the week. 
Meekness is when you don't have to get on social media and post everything in your life so that people will look at you and think you have a perfect family. We try to put up this facade like everything is so great, everything is so perfect, my kids always behave. Mine don't. <laughs> my kids, man, they need just kicks sometimes, they're so bad. I, I, I look at Brittany at night and I say, whose kids are those? They were so bad today. And she says, I don't know, they're not mine. And so I, I, I just, I, but, but we try to put up this image like everything's good in my life. Everything's perfect in my life. Let people look at me and it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. But meekness says, it's not all about me. My life doesn't matter. I'm living it for Jesus. And whatever it is that he blesses me with, whatever kind of job he blesses me with, whatever kind of money he blesses me with, whatever kind of family he blesses me with, whatever kind of home he blesses me with, I'm going to use that for him and I'm going to praise him for it. Because I did not earn it with my own whatever it is I think I've got. With my own strengths or my own intellect. <clears throat> Meekness means that I don't have to have the honor, I don't have to have the praise, and I don't have to have the position. <clears throat> Psalm 37, 3. This is where this beatitude comes from. Back to Psalm 37, 3. I'll read it to you. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers and the way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Don't worry about others. Don't worry about everybody else who looks like their life is going good. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Don't worry. It leads only to evil doing and evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Did you catch that? Those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. The beatitude, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. This is where it comes from. So what does it mean to be meek? In this psalm, it means that we trust in God. I wonder, are you trusting God right now in your life? Maybe you're, you're facing a struggle. <clears throat> Maybe there's a health problem. And it is keeping you up at night. Maybe it's not even you. Maybe it's somebody that you love. And you cannot even sleep at night. Trust in God? That's meekness when you're able to trust, delight in the Lord. I wonder, in your everyday life, your Monday through Saturday how much time do you spend in his word? Just delighting in God? Just, just enjoying the presence of God? Enjoying the time that we have with God? It says commit your ways to rest in the Lord, to not fret, to not worry, but to wait. You see, you got to understand that meekness, it's not cowardice. The meek who are submitted to God God will call out to do incredible things. Meekness does not mean weakness, and it does not mean timid. You know what Jesus said? Jesus is the greatest example, and he came not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father, right? You remember that? And so he submitted himself to God. That's our example, that we would, we would open up our heart and our life and submit who we are to God, to live under his strength. You know what? 
we read in Philippians, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so what we do is uh, we get our Steph Curry shoes on and we write, I can do all things. We play basketball or we put it on our baseball bat and we hit home run. That's not it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It means that by the power of God, anything that he calls me to, I can go through it and I can come through it successful. Anything for his kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my dreams and my ambitions. It's about him. And so in meekness, I can say, I can do all things, not by my own power or by my own authority, but by his power and by his authority. So we wake up the next day and we say, God, what do you have for me today? Because I can do all things that you call me to do. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Way back in Genesis, that covenant talked about the earth it talked about a promised land but when you get in revelation you see that there is coming a millennial kingdom a kingdom a kingdom that that christ is going to reign and the bible says that believers will be a part of that 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 kingdom you want to be a part of that then meekness is going to be a part of your life so how do you know we'll close up how do you know if you're meek do you realize that you cannot save yourself Do you realize that your salvation is not by works, but it is by grace? It is by by the gift of God. Do you recognize apart from the grace of God, the power of God, you can do nothing for his kingdom? Do you realize that all your gifts, all your talents, all your abilities are from him? You You know what the most simplest way to answer it is this? Are you selfish? I think we know that about our self. When you look at your life, what drives you? Do you live for yourself or do you live for him? Now, I can fool you and you can fool me, but you know who you are on the inside. When you do the works that you do, do you, do you come up and do you sing so that people will say, oh, they did such a good job? Do I come up and preach so that you'll say, oh, Case, they preached so well? Do you teach that class? Do you do what you do for people or do you do it for God? What, what, what is the motivation? The Bible talks about this. It talks about the word of God being the foundation. Remember, it talks about those who who build their life on the sand. The the storms will come and it it will blow the house down. But those who build their house, those who build their life on the word of God, the storms will still come, but what happens to the house? It stands because it was built on the word. The word I'm giving you this morning is that happy are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. A couple weeks ago, we went to, uh, to Mena, Arkansas. It's one of my favorite places uh, to visit. Uh, we, we went to Albert's Pike. Anybody ever been to Albert's Pike? Okay, if you've been to Albert's Pike, it is a beautiful, beautiful spot. You go Albert's Pike and there's the Little Missouri River. <clears throat> it runs through it. There's all these campsites, probably 50 to 60 different RV sites and tent camping sites and mountains on the side of it. You can go play in the water. You can tube down the, the stream. You can hike up the mountains. But what happened was in, in June 11, 2010, the campgrounds were pretty much full. Families all at Albert's Pike, resting, relaxing. And late, late that night, everyone was asleep, but it began to rain. Now, when you're in Albert's Pike, there's no phone service. You are literally in the middle of nowhere. So there's no, there's no phone uh, service, no reception. And it began to rain, and it began to rain, and it began to rain. And the rains came down so, so fast. 
that the day before, Little Missouri River was three feet deep. The following morning, it was 23 and a half feet deep. And so the witnesses say they woke up in the middle of the night. One man says he, he looked out his, his window and he saw a huge RV and it was just being pushed down the stream. Man looked up and he saw his truck and it was pushed up and it was overturned into these, these large trees that were standing. There's a man who lived in this area and his home, his, his home that he lived in all the time got pushed off and it was moved 50 feet. And, and there's, there's witnesses who say they heard the, the screams of, of children as they were looking for their fathers. And as fathers who were holding on to their, their children with all their might. A man tells of trying to, trying to get these people out of a, an RV and he was, his fingers were bloody as he was trying to rip the door open, but he could not get it open. Twenty people died that night. And since then, the state has let it go. Now everything has grown up. The once beautiful buildings, there's just shrubbery all around them. The tent uh, camping has grown up. It's for day use only now. You cannot go in uh, and spend the night. But, but here's, here's what it got me thinking about. In our life, there's going to be storms. We know that. There's going to be times that, that like that, it just looks like, God, I don't know how I can get through this. Do you know what the difference is? The difference is going to be if we submit our life to God. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it means that according to the scripture that our life, our house will stand through it all. Now you can live your life for yourself and it may look good and you may have lots of money and you may have lots of things and everything might look good on the outside, but there's going to come a time that you're going to realize the storm is here and I wasted my life. It's going to happen and it could be too late in that moment. But oh, to take the word of God and to say, Lord, I want to make my life count. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. My life is going to change. I'm not going to live for myself any longer, but I'm going to live for you. And then the storms will still come, but I'm built on a strong foundation. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this day, God. Thank you for your word, Lord, how it speaks to us, how it challenges us. Lord, I pray that during this time, God, we have, we have understood how crucial it is that we are meek. God, that we submit our life to you. Lord, that we are not selfish, but we live with a higher calling and a higher purpose. And so, God, I, I pray that during this time of invitation, God, that we're obedient to what you call us to be. Lord, there, there may be some in here who have never submitted to you. They've never been saved. And if you're calling them to salvation, I pray they'll be obedient. God, they will submit to that and they will be saved today. Lord, it may be that there's some who you're calling to join this church. I pray they'll be faithful. Lord, it may be that there's many of us and we just see that we're living our life for ourselves and we're not living it for you. We, we become selfish. And what we need is a little bit of meekness so that we submit to you, so that we live our life in a way that counts and not in a way that will be wasted. So, Lord, I pray you've spoken to us, and I pray that we'll be obedient. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand.